I'm David Preston, and you're listening to the Lit AF Podcast. Join us each week for a tour through the literary classics like you have never heard them before. Each season is a new book, and each episode is a new way of thinking about it. If you'd like more information about becoming a sponsor or a member of the Lit AF community, which will enable you to attend live streams with authors, get discounts on merchandise, participate in community forums, and even determine what I read next, come find us on the web at litafpodcast.com. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 2 of Lit AF, The Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. Today we're going to be talking about the preface, and before I begin, I want to talk about the way that Oscar ends the preface. He says, all art is quite useless. Now, I read this statement in more than one way. I think it can probably be read like a lot of things in lots of ways. On one level, it's defiant. I produce art for art's sake, just because it makes me feel good, and not because I want to send you a message or teach you a lesson or do some other job that you need doing. But on another level, it's worth remembering that Oscar added the preface after the critics slammed the first edition of his novella. So, was Oscar defending his art or conceding moral territory and retreating into the safer aesthetic argument that art simply exists to be beautiful? Was he saying that we shouldn't look past the hedonistic pleasure of experiencing art? Or was he even retreating further was the preface intended to reassure the moralists of Victorian England by suggesting that there is a deeper consequence to the story and that we should be wary of allowing our decisions to be guided by beauty and pleasure? Or what if Oscar was totally full of shit? What if he was bullshitting and saying, hey, fuck sticks, I actually do have a message and I want to address topics that you say are forbidden I think that love and sex and polyamory and homosexuality should all be on the menu. Well, the truth is, I don't know. Uh, I don't pretend to know what Oscar meant when he wrote this any more than any other reader. And that's exactly what I love about reading and sharing our ideas about what we read because I don't think this is the kind of thing we ever can know for certain or maybe even ever should pretend to be certain about um, you know, right answers are for school children. This is like a Rorschach test where we get to interpret and what makes it interesting is the way that we unpack its meaning and share ideas with each other. Um, you know, right answers and wrong answers. Like I said, school children, it's convenient for grading, but that's way less interesting to me because it limits everybody else's thinking in the room. And why can't somebody else have a well-informed insight from a different perspective? Uh, yours will probably be different than mine. And that's awesome because then we get to learn from each other. So with all that in mind, please open your eyes, open your ears, and open your mind. Because here comes the preface to The Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. The artist is the creator of beautiful things. To reveal art and conceal the artist is art's aim. The critic is he who can translate into another manner or a new material his impression of beautiful things. The highest as the lowest form of criticism is a mode of autobiography. 
Those who find ugly meanings in beautiful things are corrupt without being charming. This is a fault. Those who find beautiful meanings in beautiful things are the cultivated. For these there is hope. They are the elect to whom beautiful things mean only beauty. I paused on the word elect because these are, these are the chosen. These are the select few. These are the people to whom we owe a debt because they inspire us to aspire to their level of understanding. Oscar says, there is no such thing as a moral or an immoral book. Books are well-written or badly written. That is all. That's a point I can get behind. I've always gotten annoyed when somebody says, oh, that's a great book or, oh, that's a crappy book because the observation actually doesn't tell me much about the book. Uh, most of the students I taught didn't have much to say about the books we read. I wish they would have, but they didn't know about how authors created effects based on technique. We tried to teach some of that and some of them got better along the way, but let's be honest. Most of us don't have any fucking idea what we're talking about. And that goes for teachers, by the way, also. In fact, it's true for most of us. And it's true about most things. I mean, if a friend tells you that they like a restaurant, you're going to need to ask some very specific questions to help you ascertain whether you are going to appreciate the product or the process around the food. Does your friend understand cooking? Or did they just spend the night flirting with the waitress? Um... I didn't like sushi when I was a kid because I didn't know about sushi until a friend of mine brought it with him in his lunch in the sixth grade and I started learning about sushi. Now, you may hate sushi or opera is another good one. I happen to love sushi and I'm kind of neutral on opera. I get the skills and the commitment about opera, but I'm, I'm not a huge fan. But here's the thing. Unless you know what distinguishes high quality sushi product and preparation or for opera, if you understand how vocal and acting techniques can elevate an operatic performance in ways that can move an audience to tears, unless you understand and you can articulate that, your uninformed opinion is not going to matter a whole lot to me. Now, for Oscar and the picture of Dorian Gray, it's worth remembering that the aesthetic movement was happening around the same time as the Industrial Revolution. Oscar saw the impact of mechanized production and he was making a case for preserving humanity as he saw it by describing what the assembly line couldn't do, which was create beauty through art. Oscar wrote elsewhere, it is indeed to become a part of the people's life. I mean a man who works with his hands and not with his hands merely, but with his head and his heart. The evil that machinery is doing is not merely in the consequence of its work, but in the fact that it makes men themselves machines also, whereas we wish them to be artists, that is to say, men, people. That was how Oscar addressed what he saw in his time. And before I go back to the rest of the preface, let's take a moment to consider what's happening around us right now. In our world today, there are strong forces at work that threaten to dehumanize us all. And I'm not just talking about AI creating texts and images or social media making it easier to hate and kill each other, although, <laughs> fuck. There are way more basic, fundamental, boring, everyday ways to steal our humanity. Um, I think back on David Graeber's brilliant essay and then book called Bullshit Jobs. 
There are so many ways that organizations, including schools, require people to talk to each other that often reduce us to something less than human. This morning, just before I recorded this episode, I called a company on the phone to ask a question about a product and somebody started reading from a script about something that had nothing to do with the reason I called. I did not want what she was selling and I tried to tell her to save her some time, um, but I couldn't get a word in. And it became obvious at some point, I realized that she either couldn't hear me or she was ignoring me because she continued talking right over me even when I tried to interject politely, even when I raised my voice, right up until the time I told her to go fuck herself and hung up. Talk about dehumanizing. You know, as I think about it, maybe industrial and informational revolutions are the perfect times to reconsider exactly what makes us human in the first place so that we can fall back in love with our humanity instead of treating each other like machines or dicks. All right, back to the text. Oscar goes on, the 19th century dislike of realism is the rage of Caliban seeing his own face in a glass. The 19th century dislike of romanticism is the rage of Caliban not seeing his own face in a glass. Now here I had to pause again because I didn't recognize Oscar's illusion right away. So I looked it up. Caliban turns out to be a character from Shakespeare's play, The Tempest. He's the son of a witch, half man, half monster, dark-skinned, illiterate native of an island that was conquered by the white European Prospero, who civilizes the native and teaches him language, which Caliban then curses because now he's got a way of describing his awful fate. Um, and in the same way that Oscar reminds us about humanity during the Industrial Revolution, Shakespeare was reminding us about humanity during the colonialization of the New World. Oscar used the reference to Caliban to illustrate the difference between realism and romanticism. A realist from the age of reason wouldn't want to see himself as a savage, would want to see himself as a logic, information-based decider of important issues. A romantic wouldn't want to see himself in the mirror as a robot. Oscar goes on, the moral life of man forms part of the subject matter of the artist but the morality of art consists in the perfect use of an imperfect medium. No artist desires to prove anything. Even things that are true can be proved. No artist has ethical sympathies. An ethical sympathy in an artist is an unpardonable mannerism of style. No artist is ever morbid. The artist can express everything. Thought and language are to the artist instruments of an art. Vice and virtue are to the artist materials for an art. From the point of view of form, and by the way, every great story revolves around conflict. Every great conflict revolves around a choice. If I wrote a story about Bob who gets up, has a healthy breakfast, kisses his wife goodbye, goes to work, works, comes home, kicks off his shoes, has a beer, and falls asleep, and does it over and over and over again, you're not going to last. I already don't care, and that's two sentences. From the point of view of feeling, the actor's craft is the type. All art is at once surface and symbol. Those who go beneath the surface do so at their peril. Those who read the symbol do so at their peril. 
It is the spectator and not life that art really mirrors. Ah, back to that Rorschach test. Diversity of opinion about a work of art shows that the work is new, complex, and vital. I love it when people disagree about art because that's the experience. The thing itself was just the thing, but it's the experience of interpreting and connecting around the thing that brings it to life and gives it a lasting impact. When critics disagree, the artist is in accord with himself. We can forgive a man for making a useful thing as long as he does not admire it. The only excuse for making a useless thing is that one admires it intensely. A while back on Lit AF, I had the jeweler Yves uh, Camonier on, and as a designer, he makes these beautiful, meaningful, magical totems. I don't know how else to describe They have a spirit and a meaning all their own, even if you don't know the man or don't know the background. They don't have any other purpose except to adorn, to beautify, to convey a sense of power or something that defies the words that I have in my head at this moment. That's what Oscar's saying. The only excuse for making a useless thing is that one admires it intensely. I love that sentence. And he concludes by saying, all art, true, proper, real art, all art is quite useless. Uh, yeah. Well, Oscar, that may be. Art in and of itself may be a useless object or a useless experience. But even as I reflect on this podcast episode, the question of uselessness isn't really up to the art itself, is it? Isn't it up to us? After all, if I don't see art, you may need to bring it to me or convince me that it exists. And if I'm looking at art, you may need to show it to me for the first time even if it's right in front of me. I mean, you may need to persuade me that there's actually art in that shit movie you're making me watch. I think it's tricky to define art only through the thing itself. It's the relationship between the thing and the viewer, that experience. That's what defines the it that we're talking about. You know, more than 10 years ago, I gave a TED talk about open source learning and I said the same thing about tools. A sharp piece of metal is a shiv, could be a scalpel, neither, both. It all depends on the skill and the intention of the person holding it. Well, Oscar wrote a short preface. I hope you've enjoyed this long discussion of his short preface to the picture of Dorian Gray. Join us next time on Lit AF. Coming up, flowers, romance, deception in marriage, and dominance, well, I'll leave that part to your imagination as we read chapter one of the picture of Dorian Gray. <laughs>